0: Welcome to another edition of the morning briefing. I'm Jeff DeForest, my good friend now uh, from California, Henry Markin, uh, sitting in for Mike Lubitz, who uh, still is in Morocco. And the word is, the man's okay. Last time we saw him, he was in a race uh, on camels, believe it or not. Uh, he looked like Jerry Bailey out there whipping and driving and trying to make it to the wire. But uh, then he realized uh, the uh, desert is endless, right? Hey, hey, where's the finish line? I have no idea. It was, um, I don't know, and speaking of Morocco, I mean, uh, th- this uh, strikes us uh, here in Florida especially. So, and uh, it, you sometimes see these shots uh, when there's been some kind of catastrophic uh, event, like uh, an earthquake, I guess, uh, in another country, hopefully not in California anytime soon. Uh, I know the Northridge one was the last time and happened and then uh you know you're okay uh whatever it is the area that uh you were in and uh, in, in this case i'm going back to 1992 here in south florida and i had moved to uh, florida in 1981 after living in la for several years henry and i uh, come here i didn't know anything about hurricanes but uh it was kind of like the boy who cried wolf uh the news uh, people uh, they weren't uh as Uh, extreme as they are now when it comes to uh, any kind of an event that happens. But uh, back then uh, used to always break out old footage of a hurricane that hit Florida, say in like the sixties, Hurricane Camille. And, you would see the shot of that one stop sign blowing in the wind, and you're thinking, <laughs> eh, "No big deal, right?" So all of the warnings were coming about Hurricane Andrew. This was going to be a monster. It was going to hit right where I was living. Uh, the cone of death, as they call it, uh, had a bullseye. My house was uh, right there in the center of the cone, and you're wondering what to do. And uh, you know, we had never taken these warnings very seriously before. In fact, I remember uh, being uh, on a pregame show uh, for a ball game, uh, a Dolphin game. And we were talking about it and saying, hey, no big deal, right? We've seen these shots a million times. And uh, then, uh, you know, the hurricane hit, uh, and it hit far south of where I was located, about 60 miles south, in a city here in Florida called Homestead. And, you know, you're peeling yourself off the mat the next morning. The hurricane's over. Winds have died down. It's kind of pleasant out after that, the uh, calm after the storm and uh we we didn't know what happened right we're looking a few trees are down a couple of things happens a broken glass here and there and then all of a sudden now on tv comes the pullback shot of where the hurricane actually did its damage in homestead and an entire city is flattened and you're looking and you're going holy i i can't believe that Uh, the aftermath sometimes and the reality of the damage that was done uh, is is devastating and I, i i think you no, know, the Jet fans are trying to uh, shrug this off, and analysts are trying to shrug this off, this Aaron Rodgers injury. It, it was a painful reminder to a lot of people, uh, and we touched on so many of these things yesterday, Henry, about uh, the failings of the Jets in the past. And uh, we were kind of going into the anatomy of a curse and how mm-hmm. it comes about with a team. And mm-hmm. uh, you could pinpoint a few things. Actually, there, there's a startling parallel uh, in 1999 the Jets, under the auspices and coaching of the great Tuna himself, Bill Parcells, had just gone the prior year to the AFC championship game in 1998. They were very optimistic about uh, what their chances were going to be. And in the very first game coming out of the shoot in 1999, as they're trying to uh, defend their uh, playoff status of the previous year and maybe even be uh, considered as a Super Bowl Contender, uh, they uh, they lose Vinny Testaverde on, on one of the very early plays in the game. Achilles injury, out for the season, and the rest is history. They're, they're still looking for that championship. It's way off in the distant uh, future, I think. 2000, right? Bill Belichick is briefly the coach of the team. Now, we don't know what would have happened. Uh, there, there's a lot of argument now about whether Bill Belichick is the greatest of all time. Uh, I don't know where you weigh in on that. Bill Belichick, does he get a pass? I mean, can he help it that he, he – he, actually brought Tom Brady to the surface. There, there's a chance Brady would have never gotten a shot to do the things that he accomplished. Uh, could, could coaching, bad coaching, have held him back? Dean Smith held the great Michael Jordan under 20 points a game with that ridiculous offense of his. The four corners where you know, you know you're a lousy coach and that your strategies are completely flawed when they have to institute a rule to combat the fact that you're being a dickhead, and with all the McDonald's All-Americans that you could possibly accumulate, right? You're going right. to go into a stall like you were in the driveway with your little sister and one of your buddies trying to play a little uh, salugi, as we used to call it, where you would, you know, keep the ball away from uh, the little kid and keep him at bay. Such such ugliness. But uh, well, with Belichick, uh, he was the uh, coach of the Jets for like a half an hour. Remember that he uh, briefly, uh, you know, signed to become the head coach of the New York Jets. Uh, he had had uh, the uh, tenure in Cleveland. And, oh, uh, no, he, he ended up going to Cleveland after that, I believe. But uh, he uh, left the job before he even uh, set foot into the office. And, and that might have changed their fortunes, although he is uh, 79 and 88 without Tom Brady. For those uh, detractors of Bill Belichick that say, yeah, yeah, well, how good would he be without Brady? How, how good would any of these coaches be without their star quarterbacks that uh, they had? Uh, can you imagine? I mean, uh, who, who's really done, you know, a, a great job of persisting at a high level, Henry? without having a great quarterback on their team. What what coach? Kyle uh, Shanahan. Shanahan? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, some guys are, are able to work quarterbacks in. Shanahan is pretty remarkable about, at that, but I, I can't ever forget, and I don't know, you know, you 49er fans, uh, how can you ever forget that second half of the Super Bowl against the Patriots?
1: No, I, I know, and, and he has so many flaws, time management, uh, play calling down the stretch. I, I get that, but as far as, the original question goes: How many other coaches do well, uh, regardless of who their starter is? Kyle Shanahan is is the first and only guy that comes to mind. I mean he put he put together a, an incredible run with Jimmy fucking Garoppolo.
0: Well, and uh, Brock Purdy. I mean, came out and now of nowhere yeah. also. Who may and, be the and, truth? And he looks by pretty way. good.
1: Purdy may, the, Purdy may be the truth. He may be the guy
0: be isn't that amazing all the scouting all the sophisticated methods they have now of uh, analytics yeah. and sabermetrics, and right it's uh, basically right. so you can just go to a game and watch a guy play you would think that that would work right and every team decides that this guy isn't worth a shot uh you know and i know some teams that when they get to the seventh round they're thinking uh, you know they're better off grabbing these guys as uh undrafted free agents and, right. and a lot of players would prefer to be undrafted free agents than Uh, be Mr. Irrelevant like Purdy was, but, um, you know, the the things uh, shook out. And uh, we'll see. Maybe that'll happen for uh, Zach Wilson. But uh, the Belichick thing, just part of the uh, disastrous uh, buildup to uh, what happened with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets the other night. And and then, uh, you know, I'll never forget, and uh, we mentioned this, I I was actually uh, at this game, the uh, mud ball game, where the uh, speculation was that Don Shula ordered somebody to come and uh, water down the field before uh, Richard Todd and the 1982 New York Jets uh, took the field that day at the Orange Bowl, and uh, Todd ended up throwing, like, 11 picks to A.J. Dewey, uh, the linebacker for the Dolphins, and uh, they they won the game and ended up going to the Super Bowl that year. So uh, that was another Jet disaster. Uh, Never did get to the bottom of it. Shula kept that a secret to his grave. As he was being uh, rolled out on his deathbed, people were saying, hey, Dad, did you do it? Did you do it? And uh, never admitted it. Never, just a wry smile on his face, uh, knowing that he had fucked over the Jets uh, one more time. Uh, and then, of course, uh, passing on Marino and uh, taking Ken O'Brien—you uh, know—that that in and of itself spells uh, disaster. So, uh, a lot of that stuff uh, came to light with, with the New York Jets in the aftermath of the Rogers injury. And then, I mean, and this this is troubling—the um, the artificial turf issue in the National Football League. And, uh, you know, I mean, they, they did play the frozen tundra game. That, that was, uh, what, 1967. You can still see uh, Jerry Kramer sending Jeff Jethro Pugh into the first row of the stands there and Bart Starr going over uh, the right side just off uh, the center position and, and scoring the touchdown to win the ice ball game. And uh, ice the Dallas Cowboys in the process, which I think is a, always a pleasant byproduct, at least for me of uh, any result, even if I could care less uh, about that addition of the Packers. They were a dynastic team then. Uh, oddly, in that game, uh, there was a guy, and they always refer to him, and, and is this so sort of an unflattering distinction for your career, Henry, when they refer to you not as the guy that really triggered that big comeback by the Green Bay Packers in one of the most historic championship games of all time, but always as the giant cast-off, as in – the Giants, New York Giants, got rid of this guy. His uh, name was Chuck Mursine. And I, I think on his epitaph, uh, even on his gravestone, it says, The Giant castoff." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I mean, could, could your career be characterized as being more of a bag lady type schlumper? than to have that be the case. But he, he was the one guy, I think he was on skates that day. He was the one guy that was able to navigate his way around a the there, and he made a lot of key plays in, in that particular ballgame. But uh, that being said, I mean, should this game be played on concrete? Uh, there's a lot of speculation that the turf at MetLife Stadium, and, and uh, holy George Toma, where is this guy when you need him? They can't grow grass in New Jersey? Have you ever had New Jersey tomatoes? Excellent. Uh, You know, I mean, farming is part, I I guess this is more southern New Jersey, but uh, what would be the premise? Is it just to save money that uh, MetLife Stadium uh, is uh, situated with with artificial turf that that was always condemned as being hazardous in the past? And uh, oddly, I think it was this year that they replaced it with some new synthetic surface that, uh, you know, and they're having this problem in horse racing where they can't decide, is it the track? Is it the drugs? What is it? I would probably offer the drugs if right. I was going to begin my sure. investigation. Yeah, I think, but, that, uh,
1: I think that variable has been isolated, definitely.
0: You would think, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, they, they do all of these studies and did it at Santa Nina. They did it now recently <laughs> at Churchill Downs, and the ultimate conclusion is, eh, it ain't the track. <laughs> so it uh, could be that, uh, you know, box full of syringes that fell out of like Bob Baffert's uh, wife's purse when I uh, saw them <laughs> one day. Uh, at a restaurant in San Diego at the uh, Del Mar meet that I was attending at the time. But uh, th- that being said, I mean, where's the players union on this? I, I didn't even realize this. Uh, you- you're familiar with Damari Smith. He was the head of the NFLPA, uh, the uh, players reps uh, for uh, years. Uh, since like 2008, when Gene Upshaw checked out and uh, Damari Smith, I don't know if you remember uh, when he came on the scene uh, in 2008, I mean, this guy was a radical, You would have thought, wow, the players behind this man, it it was like having uh, Louis Farrakhan or Malcolm X uh, going ahead and and professing your case and uh, all of the uh, injustices and inequities that were taking place in the NFL. And, uh, you know, the NFL wasn't exactly, you know, the poster child for racial equality in spite of the fact that the majority of their players were black and uh african-american um it, it didn't matter they had guys like bud adams out there now hardly the kind of guy that you would see uh saying uh, hey you know what abe was right not not you know necessarily the philosophy of the league so so this guy really clashed i mean with, with everything that was going on in the national football league but uh, over time i mean is this like selling out to the soddies i mean is this a phil mickelson type of move Henry, where uh, over time, Demarie Smith went from this, uh, you know, very, very uh, boisterous, radical uh, voice uh, uh, extolling the, you know, the the ways that the players were getting screwed and and all of the unfairness and the things that were going on in the NFL that were so so badly and heavily in favor of the owners. And uh, he literally morphed into Gene Upshaw himself, who was the head of the Players Union when it was at its absolute weakest And uh, I don't know, you know, if you remember, uh, anytime somebody was trying to uh, be in compliance with the Rooney rule, they had to interview like a couple of uh, potential blackhead coaches. And then they would interview the two guys, Eric bien I went through this like, what, a hundred times? How bad can you be in an interview? You've probably left a couple of job interviews in your lifetime here. I I don't know. Maybe it even didn't go so well with Joe Manuel and no filter when you were first signing on (laughs) and said, man, I really blew that interview. And, uh, you know, you realize it was your fault, but how many interviews could this Eric the have blown before, you know, you start to think, maybe it is a racist league. Is it possible? I mean, that they were just denying this or, or is he really that bad at, at doing an interview? Anyway, I mean, it, to comply with the Rooney rule where, you know, teams had to, even though they had already selected some old salty white guy. That uh, had been, you know, a failure in the league for the past 35 years. And was now uh, toiling around as uh, a quarterback's coach uh, with some low-level team. And uh, they anoint him to be the uh, most promising head coaching candidate uh, ahead of any number of qualified uh, uh, African-American candidates that were coming out of, uh, you know, other assistant coaching positions, maybe even on the college level. And uh, they would just go visit the grave of Gene Upshaw, and that would put them in compliance. There you go. There, there was one black candidate, and and Demoree Smith was kind of in line with this. But uh, he, he has since left the job. Uh, it's just it's troubling to think that you can have an issue like this where it's known that a certain field surface has an inordinate amount of injuries, and the NFL Players Association, when everybody's screaming, we want grass, not just to smoke, but to play on, and, and nothing gets done about it. It's insane. So you know that's another thing that uh, comes to light in the aftermath of the Rogers injury, because uh, there are people making the assertion that it was because of the surface of the field. I, I don't know that I totally buy that, but I'm thinking uh, the the chances are enhanced greatly that, that you're going to have that type of injury if you're playing on a surface that isn't conducive to uh, getting knocked on your ass off. And, and and you know maybe that was somewhat in play there. And, and now you know the other part of this uh, whole equation that's kind of interesting uh, is this anointment uh, of Zach Wilson as if uh, he, he was great all along. It, well, it, it's well, baffling.
1: What what I see actually is is a perfect. Uh, in movie terms, we call this redemption arcs, right? This is the absolute uh, opportunity to come in and redeem yourself, like for the character who's just driven by ego and crazy ambition and honestly just fell, stubbed his own toe, comes back, new character development, nicer, kinder, different perspective on life. I I'm a, I said this yesterday on my show, Dr. PPR. I think we're looking at a renaissance of Zach Wilson. Wow! A very I, I'm going to hold Zach you to Wilson. that
0: prediction, Henry. Uh, yeah. We're going to come back to this in about Absolutely. six weeks, and uh, <laughs> we'll play play this tape. It'll be like that Trump interview we had with that guy from Fox, oh. where he said, "Hey, Donnie, I mean, I'm not buying any shit," uh, and he had uh, no response uh, whatsoever. Uh, look, I I don't root against the guy. The guy was the number two overall pick in the draft. Uh, his first year, one uh, not so hot. Second year, uh, you know, was. Uh, almost mind-bogglingly, you know, bad. Uh, As you looked at uh, Zach Wilson, uh, his stats overall, uh, completing like 54% of his passes in an era where the dink and dunk is very popular. And you're going to have a high completion percentage by comparison to maybe some of the uh, quarterbacks of the distant past. Uh, You know, nine touchdown passes, 11 interceptions. He's been sacked 69 times in 23 starts. So uh, exactly three times a game, he he goes down, he makes a lot of blunders. Uh, I I don't know, you're probably not familiar with the uh, 60 Minutes pieces that were being done by the great Mike Wallace, and and this is kind of a New York thing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I I used to watch them, and they were my favorite pieces was, uh, you know, uh, Wallace going into, or or Wallace uh, going into a transmission shop somewhere in New York City that was, you know, putting in bogus transmissions in cars and they had been caught red handed and, and Wallace would go in there with the camera and go, I want to speak to Big Lou. And then Big Lou would come out and put a hand over the camera and uh, there would be like a, a little bit, you, you could see there was a tussle there and they would finally, you know, throw the 60 Minutes crew out on their ass. And uh, you're thinking, well, well, you know, maybe there was something to the idea that they were putting these bogus transmissions in. Because they didn't even want to let these guys, you know, come in to talk to them. Uh, You see that sometimes, uh, I don't know if they have this, uh, you know, kind of thing in L.A., uh, but uh, we have a guy here that goes around the restaurants to get popped for, like, having, uh, you know, uh, kitchen violations, let's call them. You know, roaches crawling on the wall, whatever, flying the soup. And, uh, you know, he'll come in with the surprise camera and uh, trying to talk to the owner, who then goes, you know, you'll see him running in the parking lot out the back. That that was kind of how he's these pieces went, but uh, uh, would you ever take your car to one of these places after watching that? No, because you're thinking these guys are criminals. They're crooks. I mean, uh, you're an absolute fool if you believe that you're going to take your car there after Wallace has been there on 60 minutes and you're going to get a legitimate transmission, like all of a sudden you're at AMCO or something. (laughs) Uh, So I I don't know that I buy that about I mean, how how is it that Zach Wilson went from this uh, horrifying entity that uh, was deemed one of the biggest busts and draft history. I mean, uh, this guy was one step away from being Jamarcus Russell. And, you know, I, I, I'm rooting for him. It would be a great Cinderella story, wouldn't it? And a radical turnaround for the people of New York. But uh, how all of a sudden that do, do they have this blind faith in this guy?
1: Well, he did spend a good off season training with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Aaron Rodgers, and maybe just maybe Rogers is good enough that even his presence can influence wow. a series of radical change, as he suggests. I think it's Th- This that... is
0: like a, a Scientology theory on sports. I oh,
1: don't pick
0: <laughs> I'm looking for Tom Cruise to weigh in on your side. On this oh, sport. boy. No, uh, I hope I, you're right, Henry. I, you know, I, I am not one to want to just denounce players, but yeah, I I, I'm think... glad you believe this. I, I You know, it, it gives me faith in the youth of America that uh, you believe that this can happen. Uh, it's, 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 I, I'm struggling it's also... with that.
1: It's also I have no I have no relation to the New York Jets. Like this is not me speaking as a Jets fan. This is me no. speaking as an unbiased fan of the sport and fan of good cinema. And I believe that he is due for a redemption arc because it all the stars are aligning. In fact, this may have not been Aaron Rodgers' story. This could have been Zach Wilson's story all along.
0: I believe he is three picks away from the Jets signing Colt McCoy. <laughs> Brady even came under consideration. Never mind, Brett Favre. Uh, I I hope it works out. I honestly, I mean, I hope that you are 100% correct about this. And uh, that the uh, same fear factor, I mean, is this like diving off, you know, a a high board into a vat full of squid oil? The same fear factor, uh, you know, that uh, you had about Zach Wilson uh, just a few short months ago probably has uh, not been exactly Uh, dealt with to the point where it it is completely gone so uh, we'll see but that's all part of the aftermath and then of course there's the uh, I spit on your grave" theory uh, with Aaron Rodgers which is the ugly part of the uh, fallout from the whole incident that took place and that is uh, the fans of the Dolphins here in South Florida of the Buffalo Bills of the New England Patriots they are all reveling in the idea that the Jets fell flat on their face even spite in spite of the fact that they won the first game. And, and that's uh, I guess that was lost on on me and a lot of people, that they actually won the ballgame in uh, looking at this thing as being as catastrophic as it is. I, I, I personally, I mean, the loss I, I feel is that uh, I, I wanted to see what Aaron Rodgers could do in this spot uh, with, with no you know, feeling either way. I mean, it's the worst thing. I don't know if this has happened to you, but you know it's time to throw in a towel on whatever relationship you're in when the indifference sets in. Which I think in most <laughs> marriages is what, like three years, where you know you just don't care anymore, right? And, and that's never a good position to take. Uh, yeah, it would be a wonderful conclusion to the story. Uh, the people that were dancing on the grave of the New York Jets, uh, especially so uh, here in Miami, because you're, you're thinking, "Wow, I mean, uh, who who would be the natural heir to the uh, idea that uh, they were going to win the AFC East if Buffalo didn't?" And Buffalo certainly looked like dog meat. In their game against the Jets, I mean, their problems that we thought what were maybe very superficial in the off season, and we're going to just easily correct themselves in week number one as they trounced the New York Jets and once again uh, proclaimed themselves as the favorites to win the division. Wow, they look worse than the Patriots in week one, did they not? How do you lose that game after being up thirteen to three with Zach Wilson, perhaps pulling off? a little Helen Keller there the miracle worker and uh you know salvaging uh what uh, otherwise was uh, supposed to be a glamorous jet season and turning into something that that uh, is right along those lines and uh, that would be a great end to the story but uh, very interesting all the way around uh, are you gearing up for another weekend of a degenerate activity
1: are you going to be betting that
0: liberty game uh by chance uh, do you bet every game on the board uh, i think that's uh, one of the real great degenerate characteristics of the youth of america it's a reason i uh, believe so much that america once again will be a great country again uh, despite (laughs) the uh, thinking of the far right
1: i look at i i do look at the board and i definitely go with the lion's share of the picks uh i'm not a conservative better by any means i throw money oh yeah wow whatever i whatever i want um Okay, let's take a look. Is there... Liberty
0: on laying three and a half on the road against Buffalo. Would you yeah. degenerate to the point where that would become yes. a game of concern? Yes, for you? yes,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yes, but this country was born on liberty and freedom. I will be betting on liberty once again.
0: Give me liberty or give me a <laughs> uh, deficit. <Yeah. laughs> that would be a new uh, extrapolation on the line. All right, so that, that's going to do it for the morning briefing. I, I, I don't know that we covered much ground here. But uh, it, it sure was fun, uh, Henry. It was good to be with you uh, on this uh, fine Wednesday edition of the program. Uh, we'll do it again uh, tomorrow morning, and uh, thank you so much for getting up uh, all week long and doing this with me. And, of uh, you will be live again uh, later on on No Filter, correct? Fantasy football. Uh,
1: I will be. Uh, I'm, a, I'm on podcast form now. I'll be live again on Friday. Uh, I'll be I'll okay just, uh, today, today, and tomorrow. I'm, I'm prepping my betting show for Friday. So,
0: right, what, what is what is the hat? You know, play in, in uh, fantasy football right now. I mean, uh, what, McCaffrey? If you have him, you're, you're on your way to well, the championship.
1: you've been on your way. If you have McCaffrey, you know, a lot of the things right now that's kind of kicking up sand is, what do I do with all these Jets players? You know, everyone who drafted a Jets player like Garrett Wilson or Dalvin Cook or Brees Hall, they were all under the impression that Rogers would be running that offense.
0: Yes. My
1: whole narrative all week is, let's not panic. The reason these players are good to begin with and they're on the pedestal that they have for this year is because zach wilson was throwing to them last year because zach wilson as bad as he was was leading that offense i mean zach wilson put garrett wilson on the map take that as far as you want obviously garrett wilson's incredibly talented but who was throwing to garrett wilson last year zach wilson Brees hall was killing it in an offense run by Zach Wilson Dalvin cook was playing with Kirk cousins. Kirk cousins is just older Zach Wilson, right? So I'm saying don't. Don't, uh, don't mortgage the farm just yet. And don't completely. Don't 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 abandon everything on, uh, on the jets. Don't do not abandon the ship. Uh, just, just whatever you're going to do last week. Do the same thing this week, regardless if Rogers is there or not, if you were going to play Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Dalvin cook. Play them again. Just give it another week before we completely sound the alarms.
0: Yeah, I, I would, I would play Garrett Wilson. I, I think, you know, he, he's the lone salvation that uh, could bail out. I mean, uh, naturally, Zach Wilson has to bring what, whatever level of his play up uh, quite a bit right. to be uh, right. anything close to what you were anticipating right. out of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, maybe he's capable of doing it. I'm trying to check uh, real quickly here, see who the uh, Jets go against this week. Uh, they play the Cowboys. Oh, my God. After that bludgeoning, I mean, uh, the Cowboys are determined to just wipe mm. out the entire state of New York. Mm. So uh, exactly, but know, that's uh, what all City. of
1: America—that's what all of America thinks, right? Is that the Cowboys yeah. are this America's team is going to finally win a Super Bowl this year? They shut down the Giants, the Giants shut down themselves. The Giants are the biggest dipshits in New York, bigger than <laughs> bigger than the
0: Jets, bigger than Giuliani.
1: Oh yeah, easily. The Giants right. put their faith in a man called. Daniel Jones, who they coin him as Danny Dimes, it's Danny in debt, is what he really is. He's not well, good. and
0: yeah, and Danny Dull also. I mean, is he the most boring, uh, you know, star quarterback that good you've God. ever seen? But he is Seems like a decent enough, enough guy. But uh, he yeah. is
1: handsome. He's got a good chin. But Danny Dull is perfect.
0: Yeah, he has a bigger chin than George Chavallo, the uh, old boxer that used to be around in the uh, Ali era that was <laughs> always taking. Uh, probably took a, uh, almost as many beatings as Jerry Quarry did when they had ESPN Classics. And uh, night after night, you were watching Quarry get the shit beat out of him. Uh, it was uh, They finally had to take the network down completely because uh, nobody could <laughs> take it anymore. I think the Quarry estate uh, sued ESPN Classics at one point, said that. Uh, This is cruel and unusual. You know, it's great. And uh, we'll sign off with this, uh, Henry. Uh, You know, I mean, listening to you talking about Zach Wilson is almost like uh, listening to Joel Osteen talk about the Lord himself. And uh, I am going to go ahead and send. I hope you will superimpose uh, on the uh, screen there a little graphic with your post office box. And I'm going to mail you a check (laughs) to help support the congregation. And uh, we'll come back and do it again tomorrow. All right. Uh, have fun uh, on your podcast. And uh, thanks so much uh, for, for your help so far uh, throughout the last week and change. And we'll do it again tomorrow. Uh, for uh, Henry Mark and I'm Jeff DeForest. And, and that's this morning's edition of your morning briefing.